So you get the glory in this. God gets the glory um, no matter what we go through. So I don't want to ever paint the picture that um, life is going to be easy. There's a lot of hardship in life. And in that hardship, God has given us a gift, which is Jesus, to help us through all the trouble that takes place in this world. Um, it's not an easy place to be in. And, but the gift that God has given us, you have to make a decision to receive it. If you don't receive that gift, if I buy you a gift and I hand it to you and you say, okay, thank you, and you walk away, it does no good. The gift is just sitting there. So we have a gift in Jesus, but you have to unpack that gift, unwrap that gift, and understand that gift that God has given that can help us in this earth. So the perfect gift is Jesus. We live in a fallen world without Christ in our lives. Sin rules in our body. And we think we're freely rebelling, but it's a product of the fallen world and the old sin nature. You're doing things you may want to stop, but you can't because it's the old nature. So only the gift can help you stop. Um, and how do we break the curse of sin? How do we stop doing things that we know are wrong? How do we stop that? Who gives us the power to stop? It's only through Jesus. So this gift of Jesus Christ is so powerful. God gave us a gift to help us on this planet. It's like um, if you're into superheroes, it's your super suit. <laughs> Superhero suit to survive on earth. But if you don't receive it, you don't open it up, you don't do anything with it, then you don't understand. Let's turn to John 3. I'm not going to be up here long. It's Christmas Eve, but I want us to really understand um, really, truly what Christmas is supposed to be about. I know we've gotten away from it. Um, one of my kids just told me nobody believes in God anymore, mom. Well, I believe. Um, I believe in God. And there was a glimmer of hope in the past with Christmas because it at least talked about the birth of Christ. But now we're moving so far away from that, that it's not even Merry Christmas. It's Happy Holidays. And um, we're just moving away from and Christmas, not so much knowing who God is and understanding what the scripture says. We really need to get into the scripture to really understand. So John 3, we turn there now. We start at verse 14. John chapter 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And go back to this word, that whoever believes in him. So you got to believe in him. That's something that you have to do within yourself. You have to believe in him. Shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do you want eternal life? I want eternal life. I know that this life is fleeting. I know that there is nothing to say how long I'm going to live here. I know that this one passes and then there's another life. We could be here 21 years. We can be here 50 years. But then what? So this scripture says there's another gift, which is eternal life, which is a gift. But you have to believe in Jesus so that you can have this eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. You hear that word? Believe, 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 believe. How many times? So when someone says to me, like, you know, one of my kids said to me, well, nobody believes in God. Well, that's your choice. You can't worry about the fish that are flying going upstream. If you're going to go the opposite direction, it's all individual. What do you believe? Don't worry about what the rest of the world is believing. What do you believe? Verse 19. And this is a condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Amen. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So God is giving a gift but we must believe. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but through the world but that the world through him might be saved. Amen. So I don't know when Jesus was born. But I know that he was born to take away the sins of the world. This is the most valuable gift in the world, which is Jesus Christ. The world gets caught up in uh, commercialism. And commercialism is excessive emphasis on profit. It's about, about money. It's not about the birth of Jesus Christ, really. That's not what's going on. It's more about making money, buying things. It's about finding a perfect gift for that loved one or getting something that you always wanted. Well, that's not what it should really be about. It should be a reflection about the birth of Christ. It should be the realization that God has done something to help us, that God has given us a gift through Jesus Christ, that he has come to take away the sins of this world, that we don't have to move up that street. That flit, the fish that are going one way, we don't have to follow that stream. We can go a different way. And it's all based on the gift that God has given. The bottom line for the world when they're dealing with Christmas is profits, making more money. People become impatient, aggressively shopping for gifts. And it's not about the birth of Christ. We're missing it. So I hope that during this season, we will stop and slow down and realize what God has done for us. And it's not about stuff, stuff that 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 passes away. Turn to John eight. And so we were just in John three. So we just go over to chapter eight. There's so many lies that have been added to the truth. So when you have the truth and then someone adds something to it, it makes it a lie. And, and that's 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 how the, the devil does things. He'll give you a little bit of truth and then he add lies to it. So it's hard to tell, like, you know, what's real. So this is Satan's way because he's the father of lies. He twists 
and he confuses things so you don't know what's true. So if we turn to John 8, 43 and 44. This is Jesus talking in um, verse 43. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word? You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. So that is how Satan works. And it hasn't changed. That, that's how it's been from the beginning. He'll tell a lie. So the lies water down the truth. So we start with Santa Claus. The water down the purpose of Christmas. Or even the birth of Christ. And I'll just say birth of Christ. I don't even have to use that word. Father Christmas. Saint Nicholas. Saint Nick. Kris Kringle. So when you water all that down. And you tell your child about Santa Claus. So when they get older. And they're like wait that was a lie. That wasn't true. So then maybe the birth of Jesus wasn't true either. So you get them all confused. Because you start with that lie. But you think it's cute. <laughs> it's cute. You're a little kid. Sit on his lap. But it's lies. And so we see Satan was a father of lies. He wants us to do that. Amen. He wants us to give out lies. And that way you'll be confused. Let's go back to the birth of Jesus. And let's add into that story. Let's allow it to be the focus and the center of everything. But you see the most perfect and, and precious gift from God has been overshadowed. We overshadowed it with, with Santa Claus. And when you hear the lies about Santa Claus, it just, it just puts doubt. It potentially puts the doubt that the birth of Jesus may not have been real. So all you need to do is have a little bit of doubt. And then it starts. Hmm. Let's turn to Genesis. Let me show you how, how, how Satan does this thing. Because he he's not doing anything different. Is that we're not learning. We're not getting it. <laughs> so Genesis 3. Genesis chapter 3. We start with verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. Which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman. Has God indeed said. You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So that's the doubt. Has God indeed said? Put a little doubt in there. Did God really say that to you, Eve? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, Now first there was doubt, guys. And doubt was in verse 1. Now, here's the lie. Then the serpent said to the woman, You may not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So you see how he does that. First, he got to put some doubt in there. Because the doubt gets you to start thinking, Wait, what? And then he got to come with the lie. And remember what I just said when I read it from what Jesus said. He is the father of lies. So he, he starts this messing with your mind. 
come in with a little something, and then come back with the dagger. And you all confused, like, what, what? You know, all that God has done, he has sent his son to take the sin of the world. But how can Satan stop that? He stops it with lies. He stops it with doubt. He makes you think nobody's thinking about God. Nobody's thinking about God. And if you can continue to think that lie, then you're going to follow that path with the rest of them who don't believe in God. It's a setup. And like I said, doubt first, then he plants the lie. Let's go back to John 3, 16. And like I said, I, I promise I won't be up long, but I want you to see what's going on. You know, all the setup. <laughs> So when we look back at John 3.16, it says, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So I go back to that word believe, because remember, doubt, pretty much the opposite of believing. So when you're doubting something, you're not truly believing. So we have to believe. Satan is after your belief. He's after your belief. He's after what you believe. He's after what? He's after your mind. What do you believe? Doesn't matter what somebody else believes. I'm so happy one of my daughters kept telling me that. Nobody believes in God anymore. Doesn't matter what, no, what the rest of the world does. I don't care if they don't believe in God. That's them. What do you believe? What's in your heart? God's not going to hold you accountable for the rest of the world and what they say. Well, well, God, nobody in my classroom believes in you. Well, that's them. I judge them according to what they know. What do you believe? Jesus kept saying that to the disciples. Who do men say that I am? Who am I? He would challenge you. Like, what are you thinking? It's an individual thing with God. Satan has to add a couple of lies with the truth to affect your belief. And we got, I'm going to show you a picture of something and we're going to go back. So this is a card. It says, Emmanuel, God with us. But it has three wise men on it. And you can't really see down at the bottom. But looks like baby Jesus is a baby here. Well, this is inaccurate. This is not right. So... It never says in the Bible, and we're gonna, you're going to see it when you read it, never says that there are three wise men. Never says that. There are a group of people coming to see the Messiah, the baby, a caravan, a large amount of people. They're bringing three different gifts, frankincense, myrrh. They're bringing three different gifts, but it never says that three people are coming. And they're traveling. And I'm pretty sure God knew how much Jesus needed to survive. So they're bringing some stuff. He's taking care of him. So he got some, they got some gifts. It's three different types. But the amount we don't know. And it doesn't say that three people brought it. That doesn't make any sense. They didn't travel like that back in those days. They didn't travel with like three people. They traveled 
in a big company of people. So you got to read your Bible, though. You would see it, and we're going to read it. So remember that I told you this, so you'll go back to it. But at the top, it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's true. That, that's truth. I believe that. I believe that from the word of God. But when you add stuff to the truth, it's when it makes, that's what Satan wants us to do. You can have truth, but add to it. Put a little bit of spin on it. Put a little bit about what you think on it. And you shouldn't do that. The scripture says, don't add to it nor take away. Whatever he says, that's it. If there's a part of it that's missing, well, we don't know what happened. We don't know what happened to Joseph. I can't make up a story about Joseph out of my own imagination. I can't do that. When you're watching a movie, even a story about um, the Bible, they like to add to it. Well, we can't do that. We have to just take it for face value and keep it there. So long as you understand what the enemy is doing when he is trying to get doubt, 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 make you doubt. Make you doubt the word. Make you doubt God. Make you doubt God's existence. If he can just put a little bit in there, just like how he did with Eve. You got a whole world that, that fell because of him being able to go in there and con her and say a couple words to her. And then we all fell because of that. As the scripture said, he was cunning. He doesn't stop being cunning. We're no match for him. We're no match for Satan. I'm no match for him. But the gift is a match for him. The gift that God gave is more than able to handle him. So when that person, Satan, comes, I run to the gift. I have unpacked the gift. I use the gift that God has given me. And I go to God and I'm like, Lord, what is this? Help, help, help. SOS, I need help. And we have Jesus. But what about those who just don't accept Jesus Christ? It's not good. We pray for them. We pray that they accept them. Because you can't win this battle without Jesus. Let's turn to Isaiah. Because I, what I want to do, and I want to do it quickly. I'm going to try to do it quickly. Is to show you so much what God has done for us. You know, someone buys you something, you know, you want a gift and, and let's say it's gold. But if you don't unpack it and you don't know the value of what you have, you're missing out. So we need to understand the value in Jesus Christ. You know, you have a friend that sits closer than a brother. You have someone that will never leave you nor forsake you, no matter how old you are. I can remember when I was like a little girl dealing with bullies at school. And in the back of my house, in the back room, praying, okay, God, how am I deal with this bully? What am I going to do, God? And it's like, all right, I'm going to deal with this bully. I'm ready. So I go back to school the next day, and I say, I'm going to call her name. It's in my head right now. <laughs> I'm ready. Oh, what for? We're going to fight. Because we're going to fight today. And God gave me strength. I was ready. He said, no, we can be friends. <laughs> she was a big girl. But I had prayed, and I prayed, and I said, God, give me strength. To deal with Georgiana? Oh, God. I said her name. 
and I was just going to be ready. But from that day on, we became friends. But that whole night, I stayed up. I remember my brother saw me. I can remember it like it was yesterday. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm praying because I got to go to fight tomorrow at school. <laughs> so bullies don't stop. <laughs> you know, but I knew, like here, later in life, I still remember that I was praying to God. I still remember that. I, I still remember his presence. So he has been with me like middle school, <laughs> you know, still remembering him giving me strength to get up, to do what I felt like I couldn't do. So you, we have somebody that will be with us. But if we don't unpack this gift, if you don't understand the gift, you're missing out. So like I said, I want to go through this. So Isaiah 9, actually 7, I apologize. So chapter 7, and I apologize because I said 9, but I meant 7. Isaiah chapter 7, and we're going to start at verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now. O house of David, it is a small thing for you to weary me, weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat and he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. Amen. So the main part in that is behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So this was a sign. So this was something that, you know, doesn't happen, shouldn't happen. And this is God saying, hey. Test me in this. You want me to give you a sign? I give you a sign. A virgin is going to have a baby. So no other virgin had a baby but Mary. And that was the sign. Amen. And then we turn to Isaiah 9. That's why I was having you go before. Isaiah 9. And we start at verse 6. All right, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's, let's go back. Unpacking the gift. Look what we have in the gift. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All these things that we have in Jesus. All of that. Do you need peace? Do you need a counselor? Then we have it in him. Do you need a father? Then you have it in him. Do you need a, a mighty God? We have it. It's whether or not you believe. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and peace from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen. 
So that's Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. And that tells you a little bit about Jesus. Let me go back one more. I want us to go to Isaiah 11. Now this is, this is so many years before it came to pass. But they're waiting for this gift. So Isaiah didn't get to unpack this gift. But we got to unpack the gift in our time. But they didn't get to have the gift. But we got the gift. But we don't value the gift. We don't even care about the gift. How did we get to this place? How do we get to the place of them getting a prophecy about a gift that's going to come and them waiting on the gift to moving to 2022 where we have the gift and we don't even care? What excuse do we have to give to God? We have the gift. What are we going to say? They didn't have it. They're waiting on it. They died waiting on it. Then we get it. And we just throw it. Throw it away. We don't even care. We're more focused on other things than we are the gift. And, and look what's in that gift. And I'm going to keep going so that we understand what God has given us. He can't do anything more. He's given us something, but we have to believe. He can't force it on us. He's not like Satan. He's not going to force his way. He's not going to force Jesus on us. You have to make a decision. And there's no forcing it. Isaiah 11. 1 through 5. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. And a branch shall grow out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. All right. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. So if you connect with Jesus, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. All of that is in Jesus. The spirit of knowledge, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. God's resting upon him. We have all of that. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by the sight of his eyes. Nor decide by the hearing of his ears. That's good. He's not judging by just looking at people. Because sometimes I've said this before. People will say. Or sometimes you know. Even do what they think that you want them to do. But he's judging beyond that. He can see the intents of the person's heart. What's in your heart? But with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And decide with equity, equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins. And faithfulness the belt of his waist. Amen. Amen. So the gift of Jesus. Takes away the sin of the world. it's, It's so needed. Like I said in the beginning. You know you're doing things. 
We live in a fallen world. Without Christ in our lives, sin rules in our body. And we think we're freely doing stuff, but we're not. We're rebelling because of that sin nature. We're doing things because it's kind of guiding us. Even though you say, I don't want to do that, you're going to do it. Because you have no power without Christ. You have no power to stop. You need him to help you break this curse. To break the curse. Let's turn to Isaiah. Isaiah again. I'm going to stay in Isaiah because I want us to see this is a prophet that's prophesying the coming Messiah. We have the Messiah. They are, they're waiting on something that we have that we're not even using. That we're not even valuing. Isaiah 53. And I know I can see. You said, hey, you said you weren't going to be up here long, but I'm not. I'm almost done. Isaiah 53. All right. And um, 53. And we start at 1. And I'm going to go through all of this mostly. Who has, rebe- who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form of comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Let's stop and unpack that part, just that part. I, I believe God purposely had it so there is no beauty that we should desire him. There was nothing on the outward appearance of Jesus that we would desire him. So when it, what I mean by that, it's like there's nothing outward appearance that you'd be like, oh, he's pretty. Oh, he's nice. Look, oh, he's handsome. No. So you're not going to be drawn to Jesus because of his outward appearance. God did that. So whatever we see as an image of Jesus not that doesn't fit. That's another lie. That doesn't fit what the word of God says. So the word of God is truth and everything else is a lie. Amen. So why would why would Satan say that? Well, he looked like this, he looked like that. Let me do this, let me do that. No. There is no beauty that we should desire him. Amen. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So this is God talking about what he's going to do, how he's going to shape him, how he's going to form him even before he's he's created. Because God doesn't work in time like we're working in time. There's no time with him. So he's just speaking a thing, saying it's what's going to come to pass. And we're like, okay, when is it going to come to pass? It came to pass. He is despised, verse 3, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was laid as a lamp to the slaughter. As a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before the shearers. 
to silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked. But with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence. Nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his sin. His seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the intercessors. He bore the sin of many. He bore the sin of many. He bore our sins. He's taking our sins. This is what he's done for us. It's the gift that we have to unpack. It's the gift that we have to understand. And transgressors, you transgress the law. You violate the commandments. God used Jesus to take all that we've done to help. And last, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 2 and then I'm done. Now we're going to go from 1 to 15. Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying where is he who was born king of the Jews. For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, of Judah, are in the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring him back word, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was when they saw the star they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy and when they had come into the house they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him and when they had opened their treasures they presented gifts to him gold frankincense and myrrh then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod they departed from their own country another way now 
when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in the dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and was there unto the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt. I called my son. Amen. 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 So going back to the um, picture that I started out with. If you take your time and read. You don't see that there's three wise men. You see there are three gifts. Gold, frankincense and myrrh. You understand that this is a time where Herod is trying to kill this baby. So you have a caravan of people. This is no joke. This is not fun, play around, but they're moving and they're trying to get help to us because the baby Messiah is being born and we need him. And even when it has a picture of a little baby, it's not a little baby by this time. Jesus is not a baby, the young child. So all the things get kind of blurred, but we have to take the time to read our Bibles to understand because we don't want the doubt to be created. We don't want the lies to be created because what the enemy is trying to do is to create the lies so that we won't unpack it, the gift, that we don't understand all the things that God has done to try to help us with salvation, to try to help us to understand that he has made a way for us. He made a way for us through Jesus Christ. But you have to accept this gift. What are you going to do with the gift? It is the most valuable gift. It is the gift that lasts for eternity. Not, not something that would, would destroy, be destroyed. Or, but it lasts forever. And please receive that gift. It's a wonderful gift. All the things that I told you about. Wonderful counselor. He's there for you. He's there for you during the times when it's hard. When you're afraid, I can talk, I can testify of that. I can only tell you what I've experienced in my life. And I can tell you that he's been there from beginning to end. Amen? Amen. That's it. I guess she was supposed to speak. Because <laughs> the last chapter she uh, finished up with Matthew chapter 2, I, um, I was going to speak on that. We, we were deciding throughout the week who was going to speak. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, good word. Um, it, you know, and it ties into actually what I was going to speak about. So, uh, but what I noticed is, and Marsha brought up a good <laughs> point. <laughs> I'm not going to speak long. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> but I wanted to point this out at, in verse 3 in Matthew chapter 2. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them whether Christ was to be born. So I'll stop right there. We all, Marcia just read it, but what's interesting is here you have all the Israel that is waiting for the Messiah to be born. And you have this caravan coming in, but what's interesting is they go and look for him, but the uh, chief priests and scribes don't go. So this showed actually they were indifferent, really, for, for the Messiah to be born. And that's how we are today. You know, we as a society today, we, we've become indifferent. And as time has gone on, like Marshall said, it's become about Santa Claus and presents and things like that. And it's like, you know, it used to be when you talked about Christmas, 
even if you didn't know the Lord, you mentioned Jesus, you mentioned Christ's birthday, you know, but now it's, you know, we know he wasn't born during this time, but, you know, the point is, now it's like, whatever, you know, we become indifferent, and we got to be careful that, and the, and the chief priests and the scribes were the main people who should have been looking for him, and they were like, whatever, and then the same people today that should be looking for him, they're not looking for him, amen, I'll stop right there. <laughs>